This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title by Kate Pierce, Sweet Talking Ranger. Everyone in Ranger Dan Miller's life wants to know how he feels about his teenage flame, Faith McDonald, returning to Morgan Valley. After their terrible breakup and Faith's choice to leave town all those years ago, Danny finally rebuilt his life without her. Now he has a practical reason for needing her back and a very impractical desire. Conversely, Faith McDonald hadn't planned on returning home, but with her dad retiring, her help is needed at the family business. She's hoping the folks have forgotten what happened between her and Danny, even if the two of them never can. But with the mysterious infection decimating the Miller cattle, she and Danny soon find themselves on the same side for the first time in forever. Despite their troubled past, the flames between them burn bright, and their shared determination to cure the cattle might just lead them to a healing of their own and a whole new, all-grown-up future. You can find Sweet Talking Ranger by Kate Pierce wherever books are sold. Find more at kensingtonbooks.com. Did you know that Kinda Dating Now has merch? Yep, we collaborated with tpublic.com to create t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, iPhone cases, and so much more. Picking up one of our items is a great way to support the show and grab some swag for yourself. So swing over to tpublic.com or follow the link in the description of this episode to grab yours today. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where I, your host, Natasha Chandel, and some cool guests break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is how to not die alone. Let's find out. Hello, friends. I'm Natasha Chandel. You're listening to Kinda Dating. Ever felt like this on a date? Oh no, you didn't laugh at my joke. I'm so unfunny. It's like that time in seventh grade when I did that presentation and no one got it. Oh my God, no one gets me. This is why I'm going to die alone. I know, it happens to all of us. Most people's biggest fear in the dating world is a possibility of not finding anyone and growing old alone. But guess what? There's science to the rescue. That's right. Uh, There are scientifically proven ways to get over the nonsense in our heads and not die alone. But before we uh, share some of that with you, please remember to tell your friends about this podcast and subscribe to it wherever you get it. Also, please leave us a five-star rating or review. If you are a fan of this podcast, you've been listening to it for a long time, and I know there are many, many of you, please help your sisters out and uh, leave us a five-star rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts. Also, we're on social media. We're fucking killing it on Instagram, so follow us there at Kinda Dating. But we're uh, on all the socials across the board at Kinda Dating. I'm at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha Chandel Official on Facebook. And Aisha, who is not here with us today, is at Aisha Says Dance across the board. All right, guys, we are jumping into this episode. I'm so excited to have this guest. She's legit. Okay, she is a behavioral scientist turned dating coach. She's director of relationship science at Hinge. And she's the author of How to Not Die Alone, which is in bookstores now. And she also said there's an audiobook available that she says in her voice. And now you're going to listen to her. And she's got a great ass voice. So that's a great option. Logan Yuri, is that how you how I say your last name? Nailed it. Yes, uh, I did it. Great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for that enthusiastic introduction. Oh, my gosh. You deserve it. Um, You know, uh, my boyfriend and I met on Hinge. I love to hear that. Yeah, last year, um, just before the pandemic. So I've been talking about Hinge a lot. I really (laughs) think it's the best one. I mean, I'm biased, but like that's why I work there. I think it's the best one. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And also we um, – I've also talked about it on the podcast that I – I had taken a break off date from dating for a while and then I came back and I was like, okay, I'm going to be like super like targeted in terms of what I don't want. <laughs> and so I paid for like a three month thing for the very first time I paid on, on any app, but hinge. And then I was like, I don't want this. 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 They got to be this. And then, um, and yeah, he was my third date. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah, All right. So you were a pandemic love story. Husband. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we we started dating two weeks before, and then our third date was like the lockdown, and now we've gone through everything, and and um, yeah, it's like a year, almost a year and a half, and 
traveled together. We just got back from Spain. We, because uh, he's from Spain mm-hmm. originally. So yeah, it's like, uh, we love him. Yay. Congratulations. Yeah, that's like a free testimonial right there. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, so tell us, okay, we, we ask every single guest the same mm-hmm. question. We got to ask you, single or in a relationship? Married. Yes. How long? A year. Okay, girl. Yeah. It's also like a pandemic-y. Did you guys get married right before or did you get married during the pandemic? Honestly, it was kind of a crazy story. I don't know if this is like starting too deep on the show, but Never. yeah, so my... Then fiance, now husband and I were engaged since like August, 2019, supposed to get married August, 2020, canceled that or delayed that because of COVID. Then he got diagnosed with this really crazy form of cancer. And we decided Mm. like for a bunch of legal reasons and other reasons we're like, we just want to be married. And so we had like at seven days notice, a pandemic wedding, Golden Gate Park, our friends threw it for us. Everyone was masked, socially distanced, like- it was a really intense thing. It was like uh, on a Sunday we got married and on the next day, the Monday, he had his leg amputated for this surgery for this cancer. So it was like we did have a pandemic wedding, but I almost can't even remember it because it was such an intense week and weekend and year of our lives. Oh, my gosh. That is an it, definitely an intense experience. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry he had to, you know, you both had to go through that. Thank you. Him. Yeah, I know this is a comedy dating podcast. So. No, no, that's a, that's not a <laughs> real life is yeah, real life happens. Things yeah. happen in real life. Yeah. But I'm glad that he's healthy now. Yeah, yeah. We just he just London. finished treatment. We just uh, moved back from Houston where he was getting treated to California where we live. And yeah, just looking forward right now. Good. Sending all Thank the healthy you. vibes. So you are, uh, you know, I didn't know what it even meant at first. <laughs> to be like, what's the relationship scientist? Me too. Me too. What I'm still do you figuring do it out. At Hinge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do have this interesting title, but basically like just overall holistically, I think and research and write about dating and I coach people in dating. And so at Hinge, what I'm doing is bringing that to hinge. And so helping with research projects, right? It's like, okay, um, I keep hearing about situationships. Let's actually do research on what percentage of people have been in a situationship during the pandemic. Why? What gets people out of a situationship? And it's so fun because it's like, I'm hearing straight from my coaching clients or other people I talk to about dating. And then I get to at hinge conduct surveys and work with brilliant researchers. And it's just so fun to basically say like, I have a hunch let's figure it out. Then I also work as a spokesperson, just speaking to the media and uh, doing interviews, which is really fun too. So basically I get paid to think and talk about dating. Oh my God. That's literally the best. I love it. And so how have you sort of applied behavioral science to the dating world? Yeah. So my background's in psychology and I always think about human behavior and how do our brains work and why do we say we want to do one thing, but then our actions are totally different, right? We often act irrationally. And so at Google, I used to run a team called the Irrational Lab, where we would take theories from academia and then apply them to Google products and Google marketing. And it was so fun. But what I really care about is dating and relationships. And so now what I do is I take this field of behavioral science, which is the study of how people make decisions, and I apply it to dating. And so I say things like, um, we think we know what we want, And no matter what environment we met somebody. So, you know, if I met my soulmate at 7 a.m. in line in TSA at LAX, I would know it was my soulmate and I'd fall in love with him. When it's like, in reality, environment matters so much. Like if you're hungover and not feeling attractive and you're grumpy and you're listening to a podcast that's all encompassing, you're not even going to meet that person. And so really saying uh, getting into a great relationship is making a series of decisions. How do you make better decisions along the way? How do you break bad habits? And so I think about habits and patterns and basically breaking out of the things that are holding you back. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that because uh, oftentimes on the show, like, you know, doing this for so many years and and being somebody who was very heart forward first mm-hmm. Back in the day, mm-hmm. um, over the years, I learned a lot, and and we always tell people here, it's like you got to think first, feel mm-hmm. feel later. But also, I personally always tell people, I'm like, life is a series of choices, yes. and if you want something to change, you have to make better choices. 
and that's it. Like there's no 100%. magic formula around it. Just make better choices. But it's great because like I know our listeners love these kinds of like data driven episodes because, yeah, everything else can feel very experiential and qualitative. But this is mm-hmm. like, in a sense, measured and they don't have an excuse. Yeah, um, yeah. that's exactly right. So what right. inspired yeah. What inspired your book, um, How to Not Die Alone? First of all, I love the title. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sometimes people are like, it's so triggering. I'm like, it's supposed to trigger you. It's supposed to like have you stop in your tracks and be like, am I on a path to die alone? Do I want to? No. Okay. So change your behavior. Like it's supposed to evoke a feeling. And so I'm glad that it does that. Um, You know, I love reading. I love books. I've always wanted to write a book. And so it felt very natural for me that this was something that like came along my path. Like it's something, my fa- I'm come from like a family of readers. And then when I eventually quit my job, I had worked in tech, I'd worked at Google and Airbnb. And then when I was like, I love this dating and relationship stuff, people need help. There's, there's a there there. I um, ended up doing a residency through TED and giving a TED talk and through that getting a book deal. And so it was just kind of like, I put a stake in the ground saying, my interests are going to combine psychology and decision-making, dating relationships. And there's a book here. There's a book about making better decisions and propelling yourself into a relationship by breaking down dating and making good choices along the way. I also love that approach. (laughs) You were so like, I mean, it's like a very step-by-step targeted approach. Um, That's great. Yeah. And so, you know, in your research and sort of time working with singles, because I know you're also a dating coach. Do you find that there are some common things that sort of hold people back from finding love? Absolutely. Yes. This has been so interesting. And I'll note that before the book came out, you know, I'd worked with many clients and I talk about them in my book, but since the book came out about, let's see, six months ago, now I'm working with clients around the world. And so I can even speak more authoritatively about the fact that these trends are really universal because I'm seeing them in all cultures and all countries and all time zones. And so what I found is that one of the main things that's getting in people's way is that they have these unrealistic expectations, but about different things. And so I've categorized this into something called the three dating tendencies. Mm. Each one is what is the expectation that's holding you back? And so the first one is the romanticizer. This is the person who loves love. They are ready to meet that soulmate. They know that when they meet the right person, they're going to have passionate sex and an easy life for the rest of their lives and live happily ever after. It's just about finding that person. And of course, the issue with the romanticizer is that our soulmate, I don't even believe in soulmates. I don't believe in the one. You can create a story with many people and we don't know what the package is going to look like and relationships are hard. And if, if it feels like work, you're doing it right. And so the romanticizer, they have unrealistic expectations of relationships. So that's the first one. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is the maximizer and they have unrealistic expectations of their partner. And that's definitely a lot of the clients I work with, especially being in the Bay area. I think it's sort of the like uh, quantitative self hack your life thing. It's like, I like my girlfriend, but could she be 10% more ambitious or 5% funnier or get along with my family 15% more? It's very technical and all about optimizing. And the truth is that it's not about finding the perfect partner. It's about finding somebody who you like, who you can build a life with, and then together really creating that, not just you find a perfect person and then it works out. And the last one, which I'm seeing a lot of during the pandemic, is the hesitator, And they have unrealistic expectations of themselves. And so this kind of person says, I just can't date yet because I need to lose weight. I need better profile pictures. I need more money in the bank. I'm not lovable yet. And I would only date when someone would fall in love with me and I'm not worthy of love right now. And so they actually are not even dating. And so with the hesitator, it's about understanding nobody's ever 100% ready for anything Somebody way less ready than you, quote unquote, is out there dating and don't wait, date. Yeah, those are those are such good uh, um, tendencies that you spotted because and have you ever found like as I was listening back, I was going, I think I've been all three at different times sort of in my life. Like I've definitely hesitated before when I didn't have my shit together and I was like, oh, my God, nobody's going to love me for this. I've definitely been the. When, you know, when I know, I'll know and it'll be amazing. And 
Yeah. Have you found that? Yeah. I think people can definitely move through different stages of them. Like maybe romanticizers might be a little bit younger. I I speak, I work with a lot of women who are in their later thirties and they're like, yeah, I used to be a romanticizer. And then I was like, all right, he clearly isn't out here. I need to go find him. So it might be something that we move through. Or I get emails from people who say, I took the quiz on your website and I'm all three, you know, am I totally screwed? And then I'm like, no, we can, we can work on all of these. But If you're listening right now and you're wondering which one you are, I'd say if you're absolutely not dating because you're just not putting yourself out there, that's the hesitator and that's the overwhelming tendency. If you think the reason that you're single is that um, you're always wondering like who else is out there, grass is always greener, that's the maximizer. And then if you're a person who, you know, identifies as a romantic or is always thinking about, well, I know exactly who my partner's going to be and I just have to find him, that is the romanticizer. And do you find that men tend to, or women, again, we're just mm-hmm. going to go with the the two sure. genders, but um, do you find one over the other kind of has tendencies towards a certain dating tendency? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. And actually, you know, in doing press for my book, one of the things I realized is that my book is actually pretty non-gendered. There's one part mm-hmm. where I talk about fertility and the realities and even getting my eggs frozen. But mostly it's like, hey, this is how to be a good person. This is how to make good choices. This is how to choose your life partner. And it's really not gendered. But yeah, in reflecting on the different clients I've had, I would say more women than men tend to be romanticizers and more men than women tend to be maximizers. And that when yeah, it, that's what yeah, I so you're thinking, yeah. And then when it comes to hesitator, very even split. I would also say it's pretty cultural. Um, As I was mentioning, you know, the Bay Area with a heavy tech influence, it feels like so many people I meet are maximizers because Mm -hmm. there's just this culture of um, anything in life can be broken down into its pieces and you want to get the best out of each one and you want to research your way to the right answer. And that actually just doesn't really serve us in dating. And I'm even thinking of a client I saw last week who was like, I'm so excited to meet with you. And I have my spreadsheet of everyone that I've dated. And, you know, he had notes about each person, but the notes were just about their jobs. And then he had percentage that they have their shit together. And I was just like, this is all so career focused. I was like, you're more than your career. These women are more than their career. And so it felt like a very, I would say, Bay Area, Silicon Valley moment of just saying to someone like, let's broaden the approach to more than just like how many engineers do they manage? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And I think a lot of people are very concerned with people's careers, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in in big cities. Mm -hmm. But the truth is like, life goes up and down, right? Sometimes people can lose their jobs. Like they might be great. Or I know so many people who are VPs or EVPs Mm -hmm. at companies, Mm -hmm. networks, and then suddenly had to exit. And then you don't find the same level as before. And what are you going to do? You, but you love somebody, right? So at the end of the day, you can't marry somebody's job. You have to marry the person. Exactly. And that's also something that I say to hesitators, because imagine that someone says this to you. They say, "Um, I'm not lovable now, but if I lose 20 pounds, then I'll be lovable and then I'll start dating and someone will like me. And then it's like, okay, well, weight goes up and down. So what if you gain the 20 pounds? Are you no longer lovable? Is love conditional on your weight? Aren't you setting yourself up for failure if you feel like the person only likes you for this thing? And so I do feel like a lot of the work that we're all going through is separating our career from our identity, our attractiveness from identity, because those things fade or they, you know, go through phases and we need to have self-love no matter how the world, you know, values us. Very true. You So you named some of the, the sort of um, blind spots, mm-hmm. as you call them mm-hmm. in the book. Um, do you find that there are other sort of mis- common misconceptions about dating and relationships? And what are some of those? Yeah, great question. So one of my chapters is called Look for the Life Partner, Not the Prom Date. Oh. And if you think about a prom date, what what's a good prom date? It's somebody who's cute. They're going to look good in pictures. You want to dance the night away with them. And, you know, depending on your personality, maybe you want to have sex with them at the end of the night, right? That's a fun prom date. And then what's a life partner? It's a person who you can truly 
build a life with, who is going to pick up your kids from the dentist, who's going to allow your parents to move in if they're ailing, who really you can depend on. And so a lot of us start by dating prom dates, and that's totally fine. It's fun to hook up with attractive people. It's fun to have adventures. But if you want to be in a committed long-term relationship, at a certain point, you need to switch from dating the prom date to dating the life partner. And a big mistake that I see people making is that they don't make that shift. And they come to me at 35 and they're still dating these prom date guys or prom date women or whatever. And it's about creating new habits and understanding like these are the things that you think matter for long-term relationship success. These are the things that actually do. And how can we kind of override your system and train you to value the things that actually are correlated with long-term relationship success? And do you think, though, that there is like, is it a one or the other in terms of attractiveness? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I feel sometimes people think that you can't like, OK, the prom date is fun and hot. And but the person you end up with is the opposite. I'm like, no, no, you they could still be they're still fun to you. Like you still have fun together. They're still hot to you. It's just they also add additional things to the picture and to your life than just sh showing up for a party and looking good in a picture. They have other attributes that, like you said, are more valuable um, for long-term relationships. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said. And I, I also get a lot of questions around that. And, you know, there's a couple ways to think about it. But one of them is, what are you willing to put up with in a prom date that you wouldn't put up with in a life partner? And so just a big thing is somebody who's not reliable, right? Like I have dated plenty of guys who say they'll call and they don't. They say they'll text and they don't. You have a date with them, but then they don't text you until an hour before to tell you the plan. And you're just like, I've been freaking out all day. Am I going to see you or not? And that's not a person who I want to build a life with. I want to build a life with someone who's thoughtful and considerate and reliable. And for me as an anxiety prone person, being with my husband, who's so reliable and so thoughtful, it's like 50% of my brain that used to worry about, is he going to show up? And is he going to come over? It's, it's not there because I know that he'll do what he say he says he, he'll do. And I, I feel like I'm more successful and happier and more at peace and more confident because I don't have that part of my brain wondering like, will he or won't he? Oh my God. It's such a huge difference. And I don't think we talk about reliability enough. Um, but yeah, it's like, I mean, you also showed an example right off the top. You guys also went through a really, mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. difficult moment and you were there mm -hmm. for him because you loved him. And it's like, even in the start of a relationship, I remember with my boyfriend now, a few months into us dating, this is not comparable to, to your situation at all, but I broke my foot and I couldn't do anything. And I was like, oh my God, you know, a few months into a relationship, sure. you go, all right, well, yeah, this person's yeah. not going to deal with this. Like, I can't do shit. And he was like taking me to the doctor and picking me up all the time. And he stayed with me and he got me food and he got me groceries. And this is like those little things yeah. made me go oh, okay, so I'm safe in this situation. Like, even though I'm not 100%, like, he's still good with me. Uh, and that just gave mm -hmm. me a, a level of, like, breathing and mm -hmm. peace and and uh, security that my uh, worth isn't just based off of one aspect of life. Because, yeah. again, we're going to keep saying this, like, life goes up and down, right. up and down, right. and everybody will go through things. And it's the idea of like, who can you rely on? A hundred percent. That totally resonates. And there's a couple things that I put in my book way before my husband was diagnosed that now are kind of eerily um, relevant to our lives in ways that we couldn't have expected. And so one of them is that I talk about how my sister always loved this article. It came out maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, and it's called Will He Hold Your Purse? And it's this woman from Boston who's an oncologist who says, I have many single friends, and they're always looking for things like loves long walks on the beach, must love dogs, must love fishing. And she was like, I'm telling you, as an oncologist who sees um, women with cancer all the time, the number one thing is like, will your husband hold your purse? Will he sit with you in the 
you know, treatment room in the medical facility? And will he be there with you holding your purse or not? And she's like, that's what these women should be looking for is will he hold your purse? And so in my sister's speech at her wedding, she talked about, you know, this idea of, will he hold your purse? And so I put that in my book. And then, you know, for the last 13 months, I'm like, I'm the one holding the purse. I'm holding the backpack in the oncology unit. And so it's like the thing that I told people to look for in a partner, I have had to really embody that as a partner. And so that's been a huge learning experience for me to not just tell people this is what to look for, but truly to be the kind of person who somebody can rely on and choose. Because it's not just you, Natasha, saying like, what kind of person do I want to be with? It's also saying, are you a worthy partner who that person's going to choose back? And so like, we all have to be that reliable person and we should be looking for that reliable person. That is a brilliant story. <laughs> um you also talk about the slow burn, mm -hmm. which we've talked a lot about here, especially after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, you say, or I mean, just this idea, like, sh why should daters pursue the slow burn rather than that sort of electric passion right off the top heated sex thing? Yeah. So the slow burn is definitely something I think about a lot. And I can tell that you curse on the podcast. So I, I can say my, oh, yeah, my fuck the curse. spark line, which is that I just got so sick of having dating coaching clients that would come to me and say, I met up with her. She was great. We had a really good conversation. I really admire her career. Attractive person. Not going to see her again. I would say, what are you talking about? They would say, mm, I just didn't feel the spark. And so the spark to me became this all-encompassing term that people were using that meant I didn't feel instant chemistry. I didn't feel butterflies. I didn't feel unicorns and puppies. And people are looking for instant chemistry. And if they don't feel it, then they move on. And so genuinely, one of the things I'm trying to put out into the world the most is this idea of fuck the spark. Because so many of the best relationships that I'm around and the relationship that I'm in are from people who didn't feel an immediate spark. And so I met my husband in college. We we had lunch once through a, my ex-boyfriend at the time. And we know this because he wrote on my Facebook wall. Seven years later, I saw him on Tinder and I swiped left. The next year we had lunch, we were both working at Google. And then he started teaching me a coding language. And then a year after that, we started dating. And so it's truly been this long extended process of getting to know him, peeling back the layers, seeing how funny he was, seeing the side of me that he brought out, being tutored by him and feeling really safe and inspired. And so if I had just said, oh, on Tinder, he looks like an unsmiling bro, you know, I wouldn't be married to the person who makes me so happy. And so I really feel like a lot of the best people out there are slow burns, people who take time to get to know, people who are not initially the most charming, but they make great long-term partners. And if you're only looking for the spark, you're really missing out on people who could make you happy long-term. Yeah. And I'll definitely second that. I mean, my longest relationships were definitely with people that, uh, that it wasn't like some super, like you said, the spark right away. Um, but what there was, was, and and I will say conversely, the people that I had the spark with right away were the bad relationships, mm -hmm. were the ones that literally were the fuck mm -hmm. boys. And, um, but what I did notice with the ones that I ended up in long relationships with was... I would notice how like how long I was talking to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm I don't talk that you know at length with you a lot like of people. You mean like messaging on the app? Yeah, and in person. Okay. I mean, one was, you know, my high school boyfriend, okay. but yeah. we were friends, yeah. but everybody was like he likes you and I was like, "Man, I don't know. I don't know how I feel." But then I just started noticing I was like, "Man, he makes me laugh all mm -hmm. the time." Man, we talk about everything. And then we would just like talk for a long time and and then it it kind of happened. And um, my boyfriend now, I didn't, I tell everybody right away, I didn't know. It's not like I was attracted to him because I met him on Hinge. I clearly, that part already ticked off, but I didn't know what I was supposed to feel mm -hmm. on the first mm -hmm. date. I just knew that I 
I laughed a lot and, and we had a lot in common and it went for more than it went for like four hours. And I was like, Oh, I could have kept talking, but I had to leave Mm -hmm. because I had a meeting the next day. So I was like, Oh, like there was more. So I was like, okay, I'm intrigued enough to want to go. There was more. All right. So like, then let me see. And it was on the second date that I felt the like, Oh shit, I think I want to make out with him. And then I was like, all right, that's, that's like a good. And then it kind of escalated from there. So yeah, this idea that you're supposed to feel everything and you lock eyes and and they're the one is very unrealistic and probably not healthy. Oh, yeah. I agree with everything you said. And I feel like the sooner that people learn that, the sooner they can actually identify these diamonds in the rough and find them. Because it's like if the only people we're all going for are the super hot people that make an initially great impression, we're missing out on a lot of people. And so In the book, I talk about the three myths of the spark. And so the first one is that if you don't feel the spark, it can't grow. And that's not true. The spark often can grow over time as you get to know someone, as they relax around you. It's why we end up marrying people who we work with or who live in our freshman dorm. It's like the more we're around them, the more they grow on us. The second myth is that if you feel the spark, it's a good thing. And that can often not be true. It could be that the person's really narcissistic and they're love bombing and they're getting you to feel attracted to them, or they're just really sparky and they make everyone feel the spark, but you think it's just you. And maybe it's actually a sign that they make you feel anxious and unsure. And then the third myth is that, um, if you have the spark, then the relationship is viable. And that's also not true because you sort of mentioned this, but lots of great relations, oh, sorry, lots of now divorced couples or unhappily together couples once started with the spark. And so just because you have a spark doesn't mean it's going to last. In fact, sparks often fizzle and you're better off having kind of that, that slow burn that lasts over time. Yeah. Cause it's also, again, coming back mm-hmm. to science in the sense of every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? We find this also in uh, careers. People who shoot up mm-hmm. really fast tend to go down really fast. A relationship that that heats up super fast tends to cool really fast. But when you build on a relationship, the likelihood, hopefully, is that the downhill is also like equally matched in terms of it being slow and drawn out if it is going to happen. Yeah. And there's always exceptions, but I think in general, people who go slowly and take their time to get to know each other don't regret it. Whereas people who rush into things, I later hear from them and they say, I thought she was one thing, but she was totally different. Or like, I thought I was dating this kind of person, but we weren't really being honest with each other. And so in general, taking it slowly is great because you get to check in with yourself. You're being more real. And yeah, you're building a foundation. You're not rushing to the finish line. All such great, great advice. Um, You know, we, we, you tend to uh, discuss a lot about the, the idea of lasting relationships, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what we want. Mm-hmm. We, we're not just, you're not going, uh, I don't want to die alone and just hook up with somebody. You're saying you want a, a lifelong partner. So what should people, like, what are some of those those foundations of success mm-hmm. that people should look for? Yeah. And I'll should, I should say, like, inclusivity is super important to me. And so sometimes people are like, I want to be single and I don't mind dying alone. And then I'm like, great. Then this isn't the book for you. That's totally fine. Right. If I wrote a book called how to garden orchids, you wouldn't be like, but I don't want to garden orchids. You'd be like, I'm not going to buy that book. And so like, this is for someone who has a particular goal of a long-term relationship, whether that's marriage, whether that's monogamous, whatever. It's someone who's really looking to break out of the casual dating and into something more serious. And so The way the book is structured is the first part is getting ready. The second part is getting out there. And the third part is getting serious. And so getting ready, what does that mean? It means actually doing a lot of inner work. It's figuring out what's my attachment style and how has that been affecting me in relationships? What are, what's my dating tendency, right? What's my dating blind spot? What is the thing that I think is affecting me? What's actually affecting me? Should I say to my best friend, please be honest with me. I won't hold it against you. Why do I, why do you think I'm single? And it's kind of, it's figuring your shit out. It's, it's doing that self audit and it's really getting ready. This is what matters relationship. This is what doesn't. That's the first part. The getting out there is just 
the logistics of modern dating, right? And so the dating apps, there is strategy. You need a great profile. You need to message in a way that helps you stand out. Um, how do you design a date that is fun and involves a sense of play and connection instead of a date that feels like a job interview, right? So much of modern dating is I sit across from you at a coffee shop and I say, Natasha, what did you study and why? And where do you want to be in five years, right? Things that are not flirtatious. There's no erotic energy. I'm, I'm, I'm interrogating you. And then how do I decide who to go out with again, right? How do I get myself into a relationship and not just a series of first dates? And then the last third is these big moments. Do we move in together? Do we get married? Do we break up? And how do we build, you know, the last chapter is just how do we build a, a relationship that lasts? And so I really like to think about it from a chronological perspective because you can't really skip a step. If you're not ready, you're going to date but get the same results. If you date but then you don't know how to define the relationship or move in together, you're going to go back to step one. And so it's a journey. It's a process. But there is a way to break out of bad patterns. And I really appreciate you saying that, you know, on those dates, a lot of people do ask these questions of like, well, what's your five-year plan? Mm -hmm. And it becomes sort of this interview. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a clubhouse, uh, not on that enough, but um, <laughs> we did a clubhouse too much. There's so many apps. Yeah. Uh, but we did one once and um, some clubhouse matchmaker saw it and joined the conversation. And at one point, she literally overtook this conversation uh -huh. and started telling everybody to like on dates, basically do that, mm -hmm. which is like, ask them what your plan is. When do they yeah. want this? When are they going to get this? And I was like, on a first date? And luckily, you know, our podcast is also geared towards millennials, Gen Z. Like we're, I also think that there are ways to ask 100%. that without asking that, you know, without being so like aggressive about it and, and getting information from people um, in an inquisitive way. So I appreciate you just saying like there are alternatives to doing that and still getting the end result. I really don't agree with that advice that that person gave because I can tell you I have a lot of male clients and I feel like this is just because I say words like sunk cost fallacy and loss aversion and I talk about research, I make it very safe for a lot of straight men to work with me. And so I know what they're thinking about on dates. And one of the big things is, am I having fun? Is this a person that I want to be stuck in traffic with? And I think that, you know, regardless of gender, people don't want to feel like they're being interviewed or auditioning for the role of your spouse. They want to feel like I'm having a good time around you. I'm curious about you. I want to kiss you and I want to see you again. And so I understand where that advice comes from, which is, listen up, honey, don't waste your time. And you need to know from the beginning, is he in or out? But it's not so explicit. It's not like that guy is like, I'm 100% sure that I want to marry you because we've been here for five minutes. It's like two people getting to know each other. And so, yes, of course, at some point early on, you should say, hey, I've been dating for a while. I know what I want. I'm looking for something committed. I probably want to have kids in the next few years. What about you? Where are you at in the journey, right? You're you're modeling yeah. self-awareness, vulnerability, authenticity, but you're not interrogating someone. And I think that when you do that on the first date, even somebody who could be a good match is turned off because you're really sucking all the fun and erotic energy out of it. And you're rushing a conversation that can come up naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, on, on my first date, um, with my boyfriend, I, I'm pretty sure I just asked in the beginning, like, hey, I just want to make sure like I'm not super into like casual relationships anymore. Not saying that I think this is going to become something, but are you open mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to a relationship with anybody or are you sort of in a place that is like, nah, I'm only looking for casual. And then he was like, no, no, I, I'm open to a relationship, you know, down the line. I'm like, okay, great. Perfect. That just... I just wanted to know that somebody isn't like closed off to that ever happening. And I felt like that was a gentle way to sort of put it. And then a month in or so, I was like, hey, how do you feel about kids? And I was very honest. I was like, I'm not totally sure how I feel. So how do you feel? Because if you are like, I want them by this time, then that's something I need to know now. 
you know, and but it was like a month in and it wasn't like on the first dates. Um, yeah, because there's like a build yeah. to it. I think the way you said it is perfect, which is essentially. It's not that I have to know from the beginning if we're going to get married. It's that I want to know from the beginning that you're the type of person who might be open to long term relationships, because there's plenty of people that will say, you know what, Natasha, I just got out of a long term thing. And honestly, I haven't been single in all of my 30s. And I just want to have fun for a while. And I, I don't even want to get into something right now. That would feel like it was letting myself down. And then you say, thank you for telling me. And maybe you still have sex with that person because they were up front and you were up front and you want to, but you know where you stand. And I think this is like a really critical part of dating is that you can't guarantee that somebody's going to tell you the truth, but by modeling your own self-awareness and vulnerability and just being real with someone about where you are and creating the space for them to tell you, you're much more likely to get that response. And the mistake that I see people make is that they make it very clear that there's only one right answer, which is I'm looking for a serious relationship. And then that incentivizes the date to not be honest about the fact that that's not what they're looking for. That's a really great way to put it. Uh, I do think that a lot of people lie because they think that there's one right answer. That's a yeah. really great way. Yeah. Um, so again, coming back to sort of this long-term compatibility thing, as people are starting to date and get in relationships, what elements are more important and what are less important than we think they might yeah. be, yeah. um, in a, in a long-term, uh, relationship or for compatibility? Yeah. So when I think about the prom date versus the life partner, I think about what makes somebody really a great long-term match. And so here are some of the things that matter less than we think they do. So the first two are looks and money. And so of course we should be attracted to our partner, but all the research shows that lust fades, right? We're just less attracted to people over time, people age. And also a lot of lust and desire has to do with novelty. There's, there's interesting experiments about just like, if you have a rat in a cage and you keep putting in a new female rat, that rat will literally have sex with that female rat until it dies of exhaustion. But if you have one male rat and one female rat, eventually the male rat will sort of tire of having sex with the female rat. And I know that we are not the same as rats having sex, but it's just kind of a, it's, it's a little bit of a metaphor about the idea that a lot of sex and lust is about novelty. And so, yes, you should be attracted to your partner, but don't, you know, spend all of your marriage coins on that one thing. And then with money, it's sort of similar, right? It's it's nice to have money and it creates a sense of security, but above a certain amount, it doesn't really affect our happiness and we just become acclimated to however much money we have. And so if you live in a mansion surrounded by neighbors who live in mansions, you're just going to compare whose yacht is bigger. Wherever we are in life, we're going to compare what we have to the people around us. Um, another one is similar personalities. A lot of times people say to me, I'm an extrovert and she's an introvert. This could never work. And it's like, you don't have to be twins. You have to complement each other. And in fact, maybe that combination actually feels really grounding to you. And two of you in a room would be way too much. And same thing goes for shared hobbies, right? You can really like wine and your partner cannot drink as long as you don't resent each other for your differences. You don't have to share all your hobbies. That's really not what it's about. And then in terms of what matters more than we think, and people listening might say, oh, I know that matters, but it's, are you really optimizing for that? Are you really looking for that? It's things like kindness, loyalty, emotional stability, the ability to make hard decisions together, the ability to fight well, and really what side of you does that person bring out? Who are you when you're around them? Yeah, the ability to fight well is one I mm -hmm. learned uh, later, which is I was in relationships where, you know, somebody was really great, like mm -hmm. really good on paper. We got along. But I saw that the first time we had uh, a disagreement and and I brought it up pretty calmly and this person turned it around on me and mm -hmm. and I was like, what? you, mm -hmm. you fucked up. And, and I was like, how did this happen? But I realized like, oh, this person's reaction is like, uh, it, it, 
like serious defensiveness. Totally. And the good relationships I've had were the ones where you can go to them with a problem Mm -hmm. and they could say, okay, yeah, like, shit, I'm sorry. I I didn't understand that or I didn't know I was doing that. And they weren't like antagonistic about it. You could have a discussion and vice versa. Like there are times somebody has said to me, like, I didn't like that behavior. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I didn't make them think they were crazy for it or like huffing that how could you say anything to me it was like oh shit man fuck i'm sorry i will try not to do that again and uh so i think it is very important because for longevity you need to be able to communicate and fight well yes i think this is a huge thing that as people are getting into relationships for the first time or trying to bad trying to break bad dating habits it's a lesson for them so john and julie gottman who maybe you've come across mm. their work you know through the yep. podcast and everything else, are the OG relationship scientists who've really done a lot of the best foundational work. And they found that 69% of problems in relationships are perpetual. And what that mm. means is that they're not going to be solved. And so if I like to go to the airport hours early and you like to slide onto the airplane without sitting down for a second and we're married, maybe we just don't go to the airport together. I am not going to convince you to be an early person and you're not going to convince me to be late. We're just going to learn to live with each other's differences. And so the problem and the the misconception is people think, oh, we need to talk through everything and compromise and find a solution. But if you just embrace, there's going to be problems that we always have that we're constantly navigating. And it doesn't mean this is a bad relationship. You actually just realize that you don't have to find solutions. You just have to put up with each other. And so it's not about finding someone with whom you don't fight. It's finding someone with whom you fight well. And Mm. fighting well looks like listening to each other, not being defensive, taking a break if you're flooding and you're feeling too many emotions and you you need to come back, at, you go walk around the block and come back. It's about really listening to the other person. And so, I mean, I feel like sometimes my husband and I, like yesterday, you know, we were cleaning up our apartment and we broke this mirror and I was screaming at him that it was his fault and he was screaming at it, it was mine and then he stormed out. Then five minutes later, he came back and we cleaned up the mirror together and we had a great rest of the day. And then we laugh about it. We're like, sometimes yelling feels good. And I, I feel so safe with him because nobody's threatening to leave. We don't think that there's like a deep sense of disrespect or distrust. Just like sometimes you're angry and you yell about a broken mirror And then you make up and it's fun. And so I feel really safe fighting with him. When people tell me, oh, we never fight. I'm like, well, what are you not talking about that you need to be talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, My boyfriend and I both got COVID together. Um, And yeah, in like February. And so we were staying together, quarantining. And I'm just the type of person, like if I'm sick, I get like really irritated. Mm -hmm. So I just need people to leave me alone Mm -hmm. and like not, you know. And there were just things where I was, like, worrying about his medicines, but he didn't give a shit about mine for a second. Like, he was like, well, I took my vitamins. I'm like, excuse me? You took your vitamins, but you didn't ask me if I took my vitamins? And, like, I was, like, so irritated. And he just, he never, he's always calm. And I was like, and then, and he let me. And then, like, 10 minutes later, I came back. I was like, I'm sorry. I, like, yelled. And he was like, it's fine. You're a nutty person when you're sick. I was like, yeah. But also, next time, ask me about my vitamins. (laughs) Yeah, right? It's like each time you fight, you can learn. But sometimes it's just like I was angry and I had to get it off my chest. And I think it's so much better to communicate and disagree and get to the bottom of things than to let resentment build over time. Because that's what really deteriorates relationships. It's resentment. It's not communicating. It's not having sex or talking for a year and then, you know, going to Aruba and hoping, hoping that that romantic gesture solves it. It's like, no, like the pilot light in our relationship is out. You can't just relight it. And so really, how do you keep that connection alive? And now, you know, there's a time that we all examine a relationship that we're in and, and decide if we want to continue. Do we want to become more exclusive? Mm -hmm. Do we want uh, more like marriage down the line? Uh, So or maybe you're just debating between like a breakup. Mm-hmm. You know, what factors are are important in deciding whether to stay 
or not stay in a relationship? Yeah, this is some of the most interesting and I think impactful work that I do is people come to me and they say, should I stay or should I go? And sometimes it's really high stakes. It's, I have a ring. I'm supposed to propose to my girlfriend next week. I feel a lot of dread and uncertainty. And is it me? Is it her? Is it us? Is this normal? And just, you know, really holding somebody's relationship in your hands and trying to give them the best advice you can. I take it very seriously. Um, I have a number of questions that I ask people, including things like, um, you know, what's holding you back? What made you fall in love with this person? Do you still feel that? How long has there been an issue? Are there external factors? Like one of you lost your job or one of your parents is sick or you have little kids? Like, is there something external that's making you feel disconnected right now? Or has this been going on for a while? But one of the questions I've developed along the way is what I call the wardrobe test question. And so I say to somebody, I'll say it to you right now. So give me your gut reaction. Okay, Natasha, if your boyfriend were a piece of clothing in your closet, something that you own, what would he be? A cute summer dress. (laughs) Do you have a specific one in mind? Oh, um, it's okay if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Should I tell you? Sure. Or like describe yeah, yeah. It? Tell me about oh, it. Okay. It's a it's like a a cute dark blue with flowers on it, but it just like fits me very snug, um, and just kind of accentuates the right curves and is a little short because I'm a shorty, so I need to wear shorter length skirts, mm-hmm. otherwise I look like a stumper. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, what I hear from that is makes you feel feminine, flirty desired, desirable, like yourself, um, comfortable, comfortable, represents summer, you know, light and flowery and all of these things. And so I've asked this to many, many people who are going through hard relationship moments. And I've heard interesting answers. There was the guy who said, my boyfriend is a wool sweater. He keeps me warm, but then the sweater's itchy. So I need to take it off. Or the woman who said, my boyfriend is an old t-shirt that I would wear to the gym, but I wouldn't want anyone to see me. And so I feel like this question, because it's sort of abstract and you just have to give your gut reaction, it actually is kind of like a Rorschach test where you just say what first comes to mind. And sometimes people say really beautiful answers like yours or people who say, you know, my favorite pair of leggings that make me feel comfortable and safe, but also sexy and like I can take on the world. And so sometimes it's just helping people get out of their heads and really into their gut and their instincts and just saying, You've outgrown this relationship. You don't want to feel like a scrubby old sweatshirt. You don't want to feel like an itchy gray sweater. And so um, I have a lot of, I would say, more scientific or intellectual questions that I ask people. But oftentimes it's when people answer the wardrobe test question and they hear that coming out of their mouth that they're like, fuck, I need to leave. Oh, wow. That Yeah, that's an amazing uh, question and test. Now I'm like thinking about it even more. <laughs> I was like, is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we're obviously still in a pandemic Mm -hmm. and it's been hard for a lot of people, um, for a lot of single people, especially and relationships. Um, what are some of the, you know, we can say sort of post pandemic ish people are starting to date again uh, and meet in person. What are some of the the issues people are feeling and, and how can they overcome it? Yeah. So What's great is that I started at Hinge last March. So basically, like, I was in the New York office for a week. I had to leave early because of COVID. And ever since then, we've just been tracking COVID dating so carefully. And so, you know, we have these baselines of what were people, what was dating like in last March and April and May and so on. And so um, over the last few months, we've been tracking what does post-vaccination dating look like? And I do have to say that some of these theories are changing a little bit with Delta and we're we're definitely paying attention to variants and things like that. But what we saw is that there were these predictions of a hot vac summer or shot girl summer, this idea that people had missed physical connection and it had been a hard year and they wanted casual hookups and light connection. And what we, what I, what I saw in my coaching, what I saw in my book clubs, what I saw with everyone I was talking to is that that wasn't what people wanted. They want relationships. And so at Hinge, we're calling it the relationship renaissance, which is people who 
spent, you know, 18 months or so alone and are like, I want to find my partner. I want to find a person to be with for the next pandemic or whatever this is going to turn out to be. And that there's actually a huge emphasis on intimacy and connection and honest communication. And people aren't just out there trying to casually hook up. Yeah, I I could say I agree with that on an experiential level of my friends who were always like sort of like me, just single people. Um, and then during the pandemic, I think started once they felt safe dating, started dating really intentionally yeah. to get in a relationship where before they they would just fuck around. For me, I think. I just got, I happened to just get yeah. lucky because I, it might happen just at the start. But I think for my friends, I was like, oh, wow. Like I have more friends in relationships now during a pandemic than I did before. Um, and I do think it is that people are realizing shit, like life is really fucking hard and, and realizing the worth of a mm -hmm. relationship where before it used to feel very like, um, uh, you know, you could just not, not valuable. Totally. A hundred percent. And now we see the value of having a partner and somebody to talk to and somebody to go through hard things with. Um, I'm sorry. Did I ask you like, how, how could you overcome some of this? Yeah, no, no, no. We can talk about all of that, but I just want to say like, um, that's fully what we're seeing. And so we did a lot of research, especially early in the pandemic on how people were spending their time. And one of the big things, one of the big things is that people were getting more intentional. So they were thinking more about who am I? What do I want? What kind of relationship do I want to be in? Why have my past relationships failed? What do I need to do differently? Sort of what I was talking about with that first part of my book about getting ready. People were going deep because they're sitting at home alone and they didn't have distractions. And then throughout the pandemic, people realize like I'm focusing on my job, but that doesn't keep me warm at night. And, you know, at a certain point you've seen love is blind and the love is blind reunion and like what else is left. And so now we're seeing through our research that dating has become the number one priority for people looking for relationships more so than before the pandemic when they would prioritize work or friends and family. Like they're really creating time for dating. And so you have that intentionality of going deep plus the motivation of really finding someone. And when you combine those two, you have people that are dating in a much more serious, thoughtful, real way that's leading to relationships and not just these meaningless hookups. And, you know, to, to, I, I meant to ask you this earlier based on the last question of like whether to, you know, decide to stay or mm -hmm. not stay in a relationship. But I'm also seeing a bunch of friends breaking mm -hmm. up. Um, I recently had two that, that broke up with their partner. One was on off for many years. One was, you know, just with her for uh, eight months. And uh, um, it's probably some of the more the questions we get asked the most on the podcast is about breakups. I'm sure you do too. What are some tips for getting back out there after a breakup or heartbreak? Um, somebody broke up with you or you ended it. Yeah. I mean, breakups are so hard. There's really interesting research on just how it wrecks havoc on our, our emotions, our mental health, our physical health, right? It's, it's, you're basically addicted to the other person or addicted to love and then you're in withdrawal. And so first of all, it's just being really compassionate with yourself about the fact that it's going to take a while. That being said, I do also often talk to people who are the ones who initiated the breakup and they're like, I thought I'd be grieving more than I am. And I'm like, well, you grieved during the relationship. Based on that, you decide to break up and now actually you're ready to move on. And so also don't, you're not a demon if you, <laughs> if, if you're not hurting right now. Some of the things are really just learning from the experience. And so there's this expression, time heals all wounds. But I actually really believe when it comes to breakup, that meaning heals all wounds. And so really, how can you find meaning in it? And can you say, this wasn't the right relationship for me, but I realized that I want to be with someone who definitely wants kids and she didn't. And that means that next time I'm going to look for this. Or can you say it didn't work out in the long term, but I really became a better person through, through dating that individual. And so what are ways that you can connect with yourself, connect with friends, connect with activities that you weren't doing while dating that person? And really the goal is to find lessons and make meaning from the past relationship that will then make you better suited to find love next time. Yeah, sometimes you just have to, you have to remember why it ended. Totally. 
Like, cause we, uh, it kind of comes back to your romanticizer, you know, in the dating tendencies, it's like, once we end a relationship, we romanticize it so much. We only see the good things. And then you're like, wait, but you used to fight all the time or you really right, right, you right. wanted kids right. and this person didn't even want totally. kids. So like, what difference does it make that you had fun together? Um, Okay, last question, and it's going to be more more on the fun sure, side. Sure, I like fun. Right? Because, <laughs> yeah, cuffing season is around the corner, which I think is like October to like Valentine's Day around that time. So besides Hinge or getting on Hinge, what can people do to prep for it? You know, honestly, and, and this is through my job at Hinge, we've been thinking a lot about what do we think is going to happen this cuffing season and doing some initial surveys and talking to people. And so I'm I'm really still trying to figure it out because right now my hunch, and we'll see how I feel in a few weeks after more research, is that because of this relationship renaissance, because 75% of Hinge users say they want a relationship, I think there will be cuffing season in terms of people getting together before the winter, but I don't expect there to be as much of the whole, um, oh, we're, we'll break up when spring or summer comes along because we weren't really committed. And so maybe it's like, we'll have the intensity of cuffing season, but not the breakups next year. In terms of my- Which would be good. That would be great. Yeah. Be In terms great. of my advice, and this is my advice consistently for cuffing season, it's don't rush into things just because you want to be in a relationship and 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 look for red flags. If somebody feels like they're auditioning you for role of boyfriend or girlfriend, but not actually interested in getting to know you, that's a red flag. If you're rushing through relationship milestones, like meeting their friends, meeting their parents, spending every night together, I would just be cautious because as we talked about earlier, going slowly and building a foundation is a lot better of a strategy than rushing through things. And then three months in being like, wow, I've spent 24 seven with this person. And it turns out we're actually not a great match. We were just rushing so fast that we didn't realize it. Yeah. Cause life isn't like, uh, the movie holiday, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I love all movie? of those movies. Yeah. I know. And it's like, but there are some people mm -hmm. who are just looking for a relationship totally. for the holidays. So yeah. Yeah, don't yeah. get caught in that. Yeah, Ashton, Ashton Kutcher. Who, who's in the rest of all those movies? Oh, my God. Uh, Justin Timberlake and oh, yeah. Mila Kunis. Oh, yeah, one of yeah, my yeah. favorites. Friends of Benefits. That's a good Obviously, one. No Strings Attached. Um, yeah. Holiday Va is Valentine's like the new Day, one. New Year's. Yeah, Valentine's New Day. Year's Eve. All those movies. Yeah, Life is oh Not a Rom-Com. Don't rush. You're not going to regret going slowly and getting to know someone. So true. Well, Logan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was so, so helpful. And you are such a lovely energy um, and and so calm. And thank you for explaining things uh, and backing it up with science. Thank you. You're so good at what you do and such, such a good interviewer. It's really fun to spend time with you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you're not completely done. We have a final six questions. Great. We ask every guest the exact same six questions like rapid fire. It's like Oprah's super soul Sunday, Let's but about it. dating. Um, all right, Logan, what is the first thing you would have noticed about a potential partner? Sense of humor. Nice. Uh, what is one deal breaker? Dishonesty. Good one. What turns you on? Being complimented and affirmed, <laughs> being objectified. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like words of affirmation. Yeah. Uh, what are one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in relationships? I think one of my strengths is being a good teammate. I'm, you know, very loyal. I'll help you make your dreams come true. I'll help the world kind of bend to what you want. I think I am resourceful and a good teammate. Um, one of my weaknesses, let's think there. Uh, yeah. I think I'm pretty moody. That's fair. Yeah. No, we all got our moods. Yeah. I'm a Gemini. <laughs> uh, Logan, what is love? Love is two people choosing each other. That's a great way to put it. And last question. Besides I love you, what three words would you want your partner to tell you? Great joke, honey. Ah, yes. 
<laughs> I like compliments and I like being told I'm funny. <laughs> I love it. Well, great joke, girl. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Logan, Yuri, for being on uh, Kind of Dating. How can people find you and how can they get your book, How to Not Die Alone? Yeah. People can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Logan Yuri. People can take that three dating C three dating tendencies quiz on my website, loganyuri.com. They can find info about dating coaching on there. And yeah, my book, How to Not Die Alone, is available everywhere. And if you like the sound of my voice, buy the audiobook. If you didn't, buy the Kindle or hardcover. Yeah, guys. And all of this will be in the description of our episode. So you can find all the links to Logan there. Thank you again for being on the show. So much fun. I'm really glad we did this. Thank you. And guys, follow us. We're also on social media. We're at Kind of Dating across the board. I'm at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha.Chandel on TikTok, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter. I don't know. You, you guys can figure it out. I'm complicated. <laughs> you know. Um, but thank you guys for downloading this episode. Please tell a friend and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Also send us your dating stories and thoughts to kindadating at gmail.com. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kinda Dating is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Kinda Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Adam Pineless and Karina Uribe are producers, and Deanna Martinez is our graphic designer. Our opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis.